0: So hi, everybody. My name's Nat and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for coming out today, Nat. Um, God's hilarious. I swear God's hilarious because uh, I had the worst night's sleep I've probably had since I got my CPAP last night and um, and I want to thank this meeting. I want to thank Pacific Group and everybody that was part of my Thursday morning crew and everybody that comes to this meeting because you guys are my family. And I'm closer to you guys than I've ever been to my family, which I'm really not part of. And uh, so let's uh, let's get on with what it was like. I grew up in Detroit. Uh, My family's English background, so we don't have any feelings. We shove feelings down. Uh, I didn't really have any um, nurturing. There was a lot of yelling and a lot of fear in my household. My dad was a teacher for 42 years. He expected a lot. Uh, my mom was director of nursing. Both of them were working on, you know, masters and PhDs. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of expectation as to what we should be, you know, and what path we should follow. I knew it in third grade, I was going to be a veterinarian and I was going to go to Michigan state. So, um, you know, throughout my childhood, uh, you know, I was told, um, you know, children are seen, not heard. I'll give you something to cry about, um, go outside and find something to do. You know, that was never really a family in terms of what I think a family might look like now. I'm still not sure what that might look like, but, um, you know, when I discovered, I, I, you know, I think I had a a disposition towards, um, drugs early. I don't know if it's cause I grew up in the seventies. I was a teenager in the seventies, but I remember being in my, my parents' kitchen making a little aluminum foil pipe and putting oregano in it and smoking the oregano just to see how it worked, you know? So I was testing it out before I even took that first hit. Um, and, you know, I want to, I want to read something here that really means, you know, if you're new here, stick it out, stick it out, get a sponsor today. Um, don't leave without getting a sponsor, stick it out every day is yet. Yeah, we understand, you know, I understand that every day is difficult and it took me about 18 months before I got that first five minutes of peace in my head. And, um, you know, I read this a lot when I when I speak and I like this part of the last paragraph of we agnostics. Even so, has God restored us all to our right minds to this man? The revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. And. um so, you know, I took that, I don't know if it was the first drink, but I do remember the first time I felt that warmth. And, um, you know, I filled up a, a glass of multiple liquors out of my parents' liquor cabinet. They didn't drink. I, I never saw my parents drunk or, or drink. But I, I filled up that glass out of the liquor cabinet and I put some Diet Coke on top and I just slammed that whole thing. And then my buddy was picking me up to go to the mall. Malls were a big thing back in the 70s. And I felt that warmth come over my body as I was walking around the mall. And I was like, that was, that was it, you know? Um, so I was about 15. I was about 15 when I started drinking and using marijuana. Marijuana was my, was my main thing. I smoked marijuana. I got sober at 50. So I just celebrated eight years on March 23rd. I got sober at 50. I used, uh, I never took a sober breath between 15 and 50. The first thing I did in the morning was used. The last thing I did at night was used. And I put as much in my system as I could during the day. You know, we talk about that geographic. So when I graduated from high, from high school, I went to Michigan State like I was expected to. But all that did was really open the can for, for little Nat to be like parties on. You know, and I got I, I was there for four semesters before I got kicked out on academic prob- probation. And, um, you know, at that same time, you know, I was having a lot of problems with my parents. My dad kicked me out of the house one night when I came home drunk, he said, you need to leave. And I flew to California the next day. I'd never been to California, but I figured I'm going to go to California. So I ended up going from Detroit to Santa Barbara, uh, overnight making that decision. And that's how a lot of the decisions in my life have come are instant, not always good. So I didn't see, I didn't talk to my parents. My parents didn't know where I went and I didn't talk to them for six years. And the first uh, time I saw my parents after that incident that night was at my first wedding when I was uh, 24. And my, my uh, wife had invited them to come to the wedding. And the day of my wedding, my dad, told me because of course, I was drunk, he told me I was an alcoholic and and there was alcoholism in the family, but i didn't really know what that meant alcoholism um, and I still didn't know what that meant until I honestly took a look at fifty. I knew that i couldn't drink because every time I drank i i didn't know that blacking out was a problem every time I drank, I woke up, I had broken bones, I had bruises, I fell off of balconies. I wrecked cars. I, you know, I, I was working in the restaurant business for the first twenty years, um, and I loved the restaurant business, but it also provided a place for socialization, drugs, alcohol, and an income. And so that was, you know, I don't know how many times I left work in a blackout, and then the next morning waking up with that uh, incomprehensible demoralization. So. Um, you know, like I said, I got married at, uh, I think it was 25. I think it was 25, 24 or 25. I got married. And that woman, I met at a bar on Thursday. We had our first date on Saturday and I stayed and we stayed together until we got married nine months later when she was pregnant. And we had our first child together. I had two, I had two kids with that woman, both kids. And, and I love that little family you know, we were such a great family. Her parents were both sober, both at the time had 25 years of sobriety. They both have 51 years now. Um, so, you know, she started to talk to me a little bit about my drinking. And, and so the first time I came to Pacific Group was 1989. I went to Ohio Street, and I went to the big meeting on Wednesday night, I got a sponsor. But I didn't know that getting sober meant removing everything. And I wanted to continue using other substances. And I lasted about two weeks. I just, I loved hearing the stories. I loved hearing people talk, but I just couldn't get it. And, um, I did stop alcohol for about two years, but I was using everything else. And for me, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't understand that you know, I didn't know how to be present in a relationship because I didn't know what a relationship looked like. I never really had it uh, a role model of what a relationship looked like, and so I thought, like, as long as I was there and providing, I could do what I wanted and just. And I'm an isolator. You know, I love to get high and isolate. And so uh, that's f- the my wife and our, my two kids. We moved to um, Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, my parents had moved to Corpus Christi from from Michigan at the time, and we wanted to move out of L.A. and uh, move to uh, someplace, you know, on the beach in a small town, we could raise the kids. And of course, that relationship started to sour, and I came back to L.A. And uh, so the significance of today is that uh, 29 years ago tonight, my wife was murdered. And this is how God is really fucking hilarious because, oh, sorry, I swore at a PG meeting. Because I'm speaking today and I'm speaking tomorrow. So my wife was murdered tonight, 29 years ago, and she was 29. And uh, she was stabbed 40 times and decapitated in my house with my kids there. And both my oldest son was three and a half at the time, and he spent six hours with my wife's body. And, um, you know, when I got that phone call, um, I felt my life drain out of me. My, my brain changed. I felt my physical being drain out my feet and this dark cloud came over my head. Things didn't change. Like that's how I spent the next 21 years. So April 7th or 8th of 1993, I lost my wife, my best friend, um, I became a widow at twenty nine I became a single father of two boys and um, for the next twenty years, I raised those two boys as a, a single father. I had two more marriages ten minutes thanks, Eric. I had two more marriages, um, but like i said i 'm an isolator I like to use and I like to isolate i 'm not a participant in the marriages and you know um, we talk about isolation and um, being a loner when when you you know, on, on April 7th of 1993, I became that guy like, oh, that's him. He he was, it was his wife that was murdered. You know, I became like a focal point and it, it, and you just want to, you know, retreat. Like I just wanted to retreat. And so what I thought was success was, you know, making enough money to use on a regular basis. And so I raised those boys. I was using the whole time. You hear people say, you know, I raised my, my, my kids had never seen me take a sober or never seen me uh, take a drink. For me, it was the, the opposite. My kids never saw me sober. Um, I wasn't drinking. I didn't drink for a long time. I, I was a periodic. I wrecked a car in 2006. I got a DUI and I, I drank again in 2012. But that was the only time I drank. I was, I was a drug user. And um, I think what finally took me out was control. And yeah. And, um, so, you know, there was, there wasn't a lot of information about childhood trauma or trauma in general. And so nobody really knew what to do with, uh, you know, my son who was experiencing some symptoms over his lifetime and myself. And so we just kind of pounded through it. You know, I just kind of buried and pounded it through and, um, You know, my son, when he got to be in his teens, he started to use and he overdosed and died on his 24th birthday, which was 19. uh, I mean, it was 2013. So April's a really hard month for me because my wife was murdered today and then my son passed away on April 22nd, which was also his birthday. So I came in this morning, you know, a little, a little scared because I'm speaking to you guys who are my family. And, you know, it's, uh, so anyways, let me, so, you know, about a year after my son died, I, I cracked, I had a nervous breakdown. I wasn't drinking, but I was trying to control a marriage. I was trying to control stepkids. I was trying to control work. I was trying to control everything. And the more that I grasped, the more things got out of control. And I was unable, I got to a point where I was unable to function and I ended up going to a facility in Bowling Green, Kentucky called the Bridge to Recovery. It's a facility for codependency and trauma. Um, what, what I learned there is that, you know, the, the main roots of the tree are abuse, trauma, neglect, and abandonment. And then you, you, you have the toxic shame, and then you have all the process addictions that stem from that. You know, gambling addiction, workaholism, codependency, alcoholism, er, all the process addictions. You can look up process addictions. And while I was there, I spent six weeks there, and I also took my first day of sobriety. And I got a temporary sponsor, like I was told. You know, and the only reason I went there is because I had no wiggle. I had no wiggle room. I had nowhere to go. It was either suicide. I put my house on the market. I separated from my wife and I walked out of my job all in the same day. And, um, and I had my car packed and I didn't know where I was going. Um, so I got out of that treatment center. I got a sponsor, like I was told. Um, I'm so with trauma for me, it's rigidity of schedule, insomnia, anxiety, uh, I mean every look up codependence or look up trauma, uh, nervous breakdown, and um it says nah. Let me just put it that way. And so um rigidity of schedule, uh hypervigilism. So uh, you know, I gotta I got out of that facility. I got the sponsor the day that I got out. It was a guy I worked with and I was on fire for AA. Cause you know, I had nowhere to go. I didn't have, a. I didn't have a, I couldn't go back. There was nowhere to go back to. I had to keep going forward. And it was hard. Um, And I was on fire. Like I was in so much pain. I had to get out. of I had to get out of that pain. And I was told that working the steps, I was going to get out of that pain. And it, it was slow variety. You know, I went to 154 meetings and, in 90 days, and that's when you had to drive to meetings, I would go to work I locked myself in a, a studio apartment here in Hollywood. I didn't give myself any distractions I didn't give myself a TV and I forced myself to go to meetings to be uncomfortable to work the steps and and to pray thanks Eric and to and to pray and you know it says find a uh, God of your understanding I didn't know what that was I didn't know how to find that. And I'd been doing yoga for 20 years at that point. But it was not the serenity, peace and serenity that I was looking for. And um, I would, I would pray in that apartment. I would chant in that apartment. I didn't know what I was praying to. I was trying everything. And it took me about a year before I could get the clarity to see, you know, where God had been in my life. You know, I could see that three months before I actually went to treatment, I was asking for help in my way, but I didn't get my way. God removed my job, my wife, my house, and then gave me a clean slate to start with. You know, for me, I was, I'm, I'm usually not a social person. So getting commitments was really huge in my sobriety and it still is. So I got a like I I would get a commitment at every meeting that I walked into because I knew I wasn't going to share. And so I would get a commitment so I could meet people. And that allowed me to interact with people. Um The first meeting I went to was a meeting in West Hollywood here that made me a greeter. You know, I had 43 days after I got out of treatment. Let me just say that, you know, it's been it's been a long battle. I went through a divorce the first two, three years you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to divorce that woman. Now I see it was exactly what I needed. But, um, you know, at, uh, there was one point I went into a meeting and I had so much anxiety. I'd been up all night. I wanted to kill myself. I went into this morning meeting and I sat next to this woman. and I was telling her and she goes, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I kept hearing about that miracle. And I, and I said to her, you know, like in this panic, like, are you sure it's going to be okay? She's like, it's going to be okay. I saw that woman at about two and a half, three years of sobriety, same meeting, same seat, went up to her. And I said, you told me, I think I was like four or five months. I go, you told me it was going to be okay. And I want to let you know it's okay. And I kept hearing about that miracle. And I wanted to see what that miracle was. That's what kept, kept me. I listened to the, the people with time. Like, what is that miracle? You have to stay to figure it out. You have to stay. I can guarantee you there's a miracle. Like my life, I don't know that person that came in 8 years ago. It's a completely changed person. I love my life. Like George says, I love 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 my life. Like I'm I'm a I'm a a great dad to my son who I have an awesome relationship with. He's 30 now. He's getting married in uh, October. You know, as you can see, I like commitments. I still do a lot of meetings. I do two or three meetings a day on Zoom. Um, I'm in between sponsors. I kind of have a sponsor, but I can't find them. And he's spoken at this meeting many times. Uh, I'm not doing my part either. Um, You know, I've met so many people in these rooms. And, And you don't have to, like for me, I didn't have to stay in one room. Like I kind of followed, I've made my journey around LA. Fortunately in LA, we have a lot of different groups of people and forms of AA. And it's, you know, I've, I've, I haven't necessarily, I have specific home groups that I go to on a weekly basis, but I like to venture out also. And I follow people that have long-term healthy sobriety and I absorb what they're telling me. I'm so grateful for, you know, the opportunity that was given to me a year ago. I know Becky's on here. I can see her, a little smirk on her face. And uh, Becky was amazing to work with. Um, there's so many people on here, Matt, Linder, Eric. If I, if I don't mention you, it's only because I, you know, I've got a ton of people on here. Today, I live in self-care. You know, my life is I don't look forward, I don't look backward, I don't have any anxiety, I don't have depression. It's because I live in the moment i uh, I don't know what I'm going to do after I get off the meeting here. I know I'm at work, but in terms of how I'm going to treat myself, I know that I need to take care of that little five year old inside of me that was stunted. you know that five year old I call little Nat. If you want to see my what my inner child looks like, because we were doing inner child work at the bridge, I can send you a picture. He's a little stuffed animal. He's super cute. He's got a lot of tattoos on him. He's awesome. Um, you know, I know I need to nurture that inner child, Nat, you know, that little boy that didn't get the nurturing and the love that he deserved when he was growing up. And I know, like, I just, what, what does little Nat do? Little Nat needs to cuddle with his dog. Little Nat needs to watch Netflix. Little Nat needs to cook. Little Nat needs to go for a run. Little Nat needs to do yoga. So I go from moment to moment doing self-care items. Is that the hook, Eric? Cool. So, you know, I'm just super appreciative of everybody that's part of my recovery and part of this meeting, you know, I'm, I'm already signed up to take more commitments for the next year. And I want to thank everybody that's part of my sobriety. Thank you.